I'm going to ask you a question to start with. Always, I like to start with questions. You probably noticed that, right? So uh, let, let me start with a question. If someone was to come to you and they were to ask you this, what do you want? You name it and you can have it. How would you answer? What would be your response to someone who came to you and said, what do you want? You ask it, anything you want, and I'll give it to you. Well, now, if we're honest this morning, I won't make you respond because if we're honest, many of us would say, well, I sure would like a new car or maybe a new house, something like that. That may be really cool, right? I mean, we probably, that's, let's be honest, that's where most of us would start with something somewhat like that. But wonder, if that person who asked you that question, wonder if that person was God. Well, what if God came to you and said, what do you want? You name it, I'll give it to you. What would you ask of God? Now, most likely, if we're honest, at first, we may have some of the same responses. We may look at God and say, God, oh, I sure would like that new car, or, or God, I sure would like that new We might do that, but if we knew it was God asking the question, we might take our, our answer to a little different level because knowing that God can do things that people cannot do, we might go to God and say something like, well, God, I, I sure would like to live a long and healthy life. That's what I want, God, a long and healthy life. Or we may look back at God and say, God, you know, my my mom has cancer, and so I sure would like for you to heal her from that cancer. Or we might say, God, you know, you know what my dream job is. I've been wanting it, and I'm not sure that the normal avenues are going to get me that dream job. So, so God, can I can I have my dream job? Or how about this one? God, you know this person, they're just always on my nerves. They're always after me. They're always trying to tear me down. God, would you just take care of them? I'm tired of them. Would you just take care of them for me, God? Because I can't seem to make things better. God, would you just take care of them? Honestly, if God was asking the question, our our answer may go to a little bit different level. But here's what I don't think would really change. For most people, if God asks us the question, we would ask something personal to us. In other words, really, we would ask us something for our personal gain. In 1 Kings 3, we have recorded the incident of one person who God actually went to and asked the question, what do you want? What do you want? God told Solomon to ask him this question, what can I give you? In other words, God asked Solomon to say, ask what I can give you. What what do you want, Solomon? You ask of me and I'll I'll give it to you. Now, Now, God asked Solomon this question as Solomon was beginning to rule as the king of Israel. Chapter two states this at at the very end. It says the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And so as Solomon begins this reign, he has this encounter with God. And let me, let me just briefly pause and say this. As we look at what God is doing in Solomon's life, it does remind us of this, that, that God re- works in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So you see, some of you here look at your life and you say, you know what, my life is so messed up and my family's life is so messed up. There's no get- way that God would ever ask me what I wanted because my life is just simply a wreck. If that's you, let's remember Solomon's life and his family's life. If you don't already know this, it was a wreck. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. If you consider just the beginning of David's relationship with Bathsheba, you know that it was a beginning that was messed up and filled with sin. However, we saw last week that God worked to restore David from that sin, and Solomon was a result of that restoration. But Solomon was not the only son of David, and David's family was truly a mess. David's oldest son, Absalom, sought to take control of the throne by leading a revolt against his father, but in the process, he got killed. Then Amnon, the second oldest, raped his half-sister, and one of the other brothers then killed him to avenge the wrong. 
Then Adoniah, another brother, tried to take the throne while David was on his deathbed, even attempting to marry David's favorite concubine to prove he was up to the job. Like Absalom before him, he also got killed in the process. Does that sound like a fun family life? I mean, you think your family and your life is messed up. Solomon's family and his life was messed up all the more. But don't ever look at your family and say that God cannot use me because my family is a mess in my life. And don't ever think that God cannot work in your life. Solomon shows otherwise, like we saw even with David last week. God was at work in Solomon's life, even amongst the mess. And here's what is key for Solomon. Even though things was a mess in his family life, this is what we read in verse 3 of 1 Kings 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Here's what the key. In the midst of the mess, Solomon still loved the Lord. He loved the Lord so much he sought to walk in God's way, and he made a regular practice of worshiping God, as is seen here by the sacrifices and the offerings he made. I mean, there was not a temple at this time, so Solomon couldn't go to a temple and worship the God. He had to go up to the high places and worship, but he worshiped God nonetheless. And because Solomon loved God and worshiped God, it put Solomon in a place to hear from the Lord. Which is a good reminder to us, folks, that if you want to hear from God, regular worship is key. And can I say this? Not just Sunday worship, it's daily worship of the Lord. Now, as Solomon worshiped, we read here in this chapter that God comes to Solomon in a dream. Look at the text at verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. There's the question. God came to Solomon and was asking Solomon what he wanted. As we would state it, God asked, said to Solomon, ask me anything and you can have it. Well, Solomon responds to God asking this question. Solomon first says this, look at verse 6. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to set on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant king in the place of David, my father. Let's pause. Because what we're seeing here is we need to recognize that the first thing that Solomon did in response to God asking him, what can I do for you, is Solomon remembered the steadfast love of God. Solomon had clearly seen in his life how God had been faithful to his father, David. How God had given him victory after victory. How God had even protected his father from his brother's attempted coup. And he knew that God had shown steadfast love in part because David had walked in God's ways. Yes, we saw last week that David had made his mistakes, but he found restoration from God. And David's life was one of faithfulness to God. And clearly, through that faithfulness, God came and said, David, I will be faithful to you. Solomon recognized that. Solomon praised God for who he was. And I'm sure what Solomon says next is, influenced by his view of God and God's work in his life. And by the way, if you don't already know this, know this, okay? The view, uh, your view of God affects so many things in life. Okay. It can even affect, hear me, it can even affect how you deal with the outcomes of election because your view of God will determine who you think's in control. Whether you think a politician is in control or whether God is in control. Who you think is in control will determine how you feel about the future. Your view of God makes a huge difference. Solomon clearly knew God was in control and was thankful for how he had seen God work in his father's life. And now in his life, as God was making him king. 
And so as Solomon finishes his praise of God, he makes an interesting statement. Look at what Solomon does next. He says, although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. In other words, Solomon, in this moment, after praising God, he recognized something about being king, that the task on just a surface level is far too great for him. He knew he was young and inexperienced. Here Solomon said, I am but a child, that I don't even know how to go in and come out. Know this, Solomon at this point was at least 20 years of old. Does that sound like a child to you? Shake your head this way, no. Solomon wasn't saying, by by, by age, I'm a child. His statement was really just a recognition of his youth and his inexperience. He knew he had much to learn and was expressing his understanding of his need. And Solomon looked at the Israelite people, and he knew they were large in number, and also that they were special, and that they were God's chosen people. In other words, Solomon recognized the task of being the king was a large and important task. A task that left solely to his own strength and ability would be overwhelming. But Solomon noticed what he didn't do. Solomon didn't throw up his hands. He didn't shrink away from the task. What this led Solomon to do is to make a very specific request of God. When Solomon could have asked God for anything, listen to what he asked for in verse 9. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. As Solomon was taking the throne and God says, what can I give you, Solomon? Solomon could have said, well, God, give me a mighty army that I could protect the people. Solomon could have said, well, God, give me great wealth so that I can provide for the people. Solomon could have asked for anything, but Solomon didn't ask for any of those things. What did Solomon ask for when he could have had anything? He asked for an understanding mind. This could also be translated a listening heart. So what was Solomon really asking for? Solomon was asking for the ability in his core of who he was to be able to hear God and to act appropriately. We like to refer to this as wisdom. Solomon didn't want to govern based upon his own thoughts or his own abilities. What Solomon wanted was to be able to know God's hearts and thoughts on a matter and then act appropriately, as he said, to govern or to judge the people. Specifically, he wanted to be able to discern between good and evil, which really helps us to understand what Solomon asked for. He was truly asking for God's help to do the right thing as God desired. He wanted to act in accordance to the will of God instead of following his own way. We probably should here make a note that what Solomon sought was the opposite. Hear me. This was the opposite of what Adam and Eve sought in the garden. Do you remember that? They ate the fruit of the tree because they thought it was good for knowledge and that they would know what was right. They wanted on their own to be able to determine right for wrong. That's what they asked for in the garden. But Solomon said, I'm not asking for that, God. I'm asking for your wisdom. I want you to show me what's right because I cannot do this on my own. And let's remember this. It didn't turn out so well for Adam and Eve in the garden. Did it? It's much better to ask for God's wisdom. Solomon made this request from God because he understood, as he stated it, the task of governing God's people was too great for a person to do. Only God could govern his people correctly, so Solomon wanted God to give him wisdom to do it correctly. And folks, that's a great model for us to follow. We need to recognize the task that that is before us is too great, and so we need God's wisdom. Now, what was God's response to Solomon's request? Well, let's see, verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. 
And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall rise after. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. In other words, folks, God loved Solomon's request. God honored this request and even went far beyond Solomon's request and that he also blessed him with riches and honor. And what a generous God our God is. Amen. See, God often goes beyond our wildest imagination when we seek after him. Now, God did, though, make one stipulation of Solomon. Only one stipulation, but look what he said in verse 14. He said, and if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, this should make sense to us because God simply is saying this. If you want to govern with, with my wisdom, then you have to walk in my ways. And God is making it clear, you walk in my ways, and I will let you live to govern a long time. Now, consequently, as Solomon walked with God, God fulfilled his promise. Solomon truly governed with the wisdom of God. In fact, if you read in this text, and I'm not going to do it this morning, if you read on in 1 Kings 3, we see one example of that wisdom here. But what I want us to see is the people's response to Solomon's wisdom. Look at the last verse in this chapter. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in all of the king because they perceived, look at this, that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Did you notice something? I want you to let that sink in. You notice the people didn't look and say, oh, look how wise Solomon is. Is that what they said? No. They looked and said, oh, we see that the wisdom of God is in him. All right. In other words, in this moment, what was happening was this, that, 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 that because Solomon had given his life to God and asked for that wisdom, what the people recognized is God's wisdom was upon him, and because of that, Solomon's life became an amazing testimony to God. They praised God, not Solomon. You know what every preacher's desire is? Let me tell you. Every preacher's desire after a Sunday sermon is over, not for the people to come out and say, oh, preacher, what a great job you did on that sermon this morning. It would be that people would say, oh, preacher, don't we have such a great God? That we just see that God was at work today. That is the desire. And Solomon, because he had so yielded his life to God and said, God, I want your wisdom. And it wasn't a selfish request. It was a holy you know, quest, request where Solomon said, God, really what I want is you. I want my life to honor you. God honored that request. And because of that, he became a witness to God. And people said, we see God's wisdom is upon him. Now, Solomon, no doubt, gave us a great example. But let's do something this morning. As we look at Solomon, we look at his life and say, man, can, can I be wise like Solomon? I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody wants that. You ever asked that? Can I be wise? like? Ask yourself, can, can the wisdom that Solomon had be my wisdom today? You see, our sermon series is unbroken, right? That's what we've said. We're saying today that, that, that God's plans are unbroken. And so let's ask this question. Are God's plans when it comes to wisdom unbroken to the point that he wants to give us his wisdom? We have all heard of Solomon's wisdom, have we not? We have. Is that truly available to us today? Well, to help answer this, let's look at the passage from James 
And see what James told believers like you and me, all right? James chapter one. Look at James chapter one, turn there. And look what James said to these believers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, it flowers, falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I read this passage, and here's what I come to the conclusion of, that God wants to give the same wisdom today that he gave to Solomon. The fact that James started with the idea of facing trials tells me that he was addressing believers who were wrestling with questions such as, what do I do? How do I handle this? As Solomon was wondering, how, how can I be king? How, how do I uh, do the task of a king? We were, at, we're asking different questions, but it's similar to the same thing. We're wrestling this. What do I do? How do I handle it? Where do I go from here? These were believers like us who needed wisdom. And here is the key for us to have this wisdom. First, you have to remember God's steadfast love. If you remember when Solomon responded to, to God, his first words were recounting God's goodness, first for his father and then him. When James says, count it all joy, I believe it's a call for us to do the same. How can we count trials joy, folks? How can you count trials joy? You can count them joy when you remember that God is working in those trials, that God is working, as he says here in James, so that you lack nothing. This rejoicing is possible when you remember God's steadfast love. You know, when you go back and you consider all the good things that God has done and how he continues to work in your life, you recognize that you have much to be thankful for. I also want us to recognize, again, the importance of regular worship to help us fulfill this point. Worship keeps our eyes on God and helps us to remember God's steadfast loves. It helps you to be joyful in the midst of trials. Solomon had his encounter with God after he had spent time worshiping God. And folks, the more you worship God, the more clearly you see God and the more opportunity God has to speak into your life. Now, once you remember God's steadfast love, you must do this. You must admit your need for wisdom. You know, after Solomon recounted God's steadfast love, he immediately moved to humbly admitting his inability to govern by his own ability. We saw a few weeks ago the need for humility, and this admission by Solomon is a good example. When James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, guess who he's speaking to? Guess who he's speaking to? Was he speaking to you? Yeah. Anybody here this morning need wisdom occasionally? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, all right. So he says, if any of you lack wisdom, that's all of us, what are we to do, all right? Every one of us, what are we to do? We are to go to God. He says, when we're facing things and we've never faced before, we go to God and we ask. I know this today. We are facing things in our day and time that we've never experienced before, right? They're, they're beyond our ability. 
We live in a time when tensions are high and people are divided. So we ask, how do we deal with different people and all these differing opinions? We need wisdom. You ask for us when we look and say, hey, we're in a time where there's so much racial divide. How do we handle those things? It's through wisdom. So who of us needs wisdom today? All of us. We all need it. The first thing we have to do is go to God and say, God, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I know even for me, as I think about leading the church into the next year and in the future post-COVID church, it's going to require wisdom. Church isn't going to be the same. You know what I know? I hope it's going to be better. That's my prayer. But if we're going to go forward and we see God do great things, it's going to take his wisdom. We need him in every step of the way. And so what we have to do is recognize our need. We need to admit that we need wisdom and do like Solomon did next. Because when we admit our need, we go to him and what we do, we seek that wisdom. We seek it out. Solomon admitted his need, but then he asked God for the wisdom that he needed. What Solomon could have done is just give up or could have just winged it on his own. But Solomon, admitting his need, followed that confession with the important step of seeking that wisdom from God. In fact, maybe this is a good place to make sure we understand what wisdom is. There are many ways to define it. If you go to a dictionary and read, to me, the definition of wisdom in the dictionary is wholly inadequate. You will find a definition that says something like good sense or discernment or a wise attitude or action. But when you look at the scriptures and what Solomon asked for, I like the definition that reads that says this, that wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. Think about that. Wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. It is having your thoughts shaped by God and a God-shaped view of the world. It means having a mind that is so guided by God that even in the moment you can discern what is right in the eyes of God. And since God is always right, all right, it's being able to see things rightly. Amen? If you're going, though, to seek this wisdom correctly, I believe there's four things you're going to need. All right, if you're going to seek it, here's the four things you need. Number one, it's faith. In Proverbs 3, we are reminded to do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight or make straight your paths. If you're going to seek wisdom from God, you have to trust him. You see, Solomon proved in his part that, that he trusted in God as he worshiped God. And in James 1, we are told to ask in faith. We are told not to doubt that if you're going to seek God's wisdom, you must have faith in him. You ha must ha believe that he is going to answer, that he will have an answer for your need. You know, too often, here's what we do. We place our faith in a self-help book, right? Or the wisdom of the age, right? I mean, I got this problem, so what, what do I do? I I'm going to go, I got, I got to find a book that I can read that tells me what to go. When we need to be trusting in the wisdom of God, Right? We say, oh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to seek man's opinion. I'm going to seek how everybody else is handling it. I'm going to do it. We're trusting the wisdom of the world. When God says, no, you need to trust me. You have to trust God is always right so that you turn to him. Because then when you trust in him, you have faith in him, you'll do this next thing. You'll pray. You see, Solomon asked God for wisdom. And in James, we are told, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. You know what that is? That's prayer. It's going to God and saying, Lord, I need you to give me wisdom. And here is the great news we are told in James, that we can pray to God confidently asking for wisdom because he generously gives to some. Is that what it said in James? Oh, I like to do this occasionally, see if you're paying attention. No, he says we go and we ask. Why? Because God generously gives to who? 
All, all who ask, he generally gives. You can know that God wants to give you wisdom. You don't have to wonder, well, am I in some special group that will get God's wisdom? Or do I have the ability to gain wisdom of God? God says he generously gives to all, but you have to ask God for it. Now, that sounds simple, yet so many Christians fail to do that simple thing. They simply rely on their own thoughts. Now, some might say, well, I asked God for wisdom and he didn't give it. Let me ask, did you really ask God for wisdom? Did you really? Because the third thing we have to have is this, right motives. Later in his letter, James writes this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. I know in that particular verse, James may have been talking about a little different than wisdom, but the truth applies even the wisdom. Are you asking with the right motives? You know, so often we are not asking God for wisdom. We are simply asking God to give us what we want. Is that true? I'm going to give you an example. I know for, for me, again, just a couple of weeks ago, as our campus pastor search team was seeking God's wisdom, on the next campus pastor, things changed for me when, when I really got a little honest with God. I went to God and said, God, here's what I'm asking you to do in my life right now. I'm asking you to take away all the selfishness. God, I'm asking, not, not, I don't want my will to be done in this situation, God. What, here's what I want, God. I, I want your will to be done. Father, I want the candidate that you want. I want the person to come to be in this role that you want, not the one that I want. Because let me just be completely honest with you. When I was asking God before, I was asking because I wanted God to pick the person that was best for me. I mean, is there, it's okay for your preacher to be honest, right? I was going to God and saying, God, in fact, here's the person that I want, God. Pick him. Pick him. Why? Because I think he will be best for me. But when I was able to come to God and say, God, no, 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 let me, I'm changing my request, Lord. I'm backing away and saying, God, what I want is your wisdom. I want you to show who, what is right, who is the right person, God. And I want it to be your person. I don't want it to be mine. And when I offer that prayer up to God, God began to do some great things to the point where God made it very clear. This is the person. This is who it is. And it was different than what I was thinking. Why? Because God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I can look and say, okay, God, here's what I know. If this is your person, that's going to be best for the church. And guess what? In the end, it'll be best for me, right? But how many times do we go to God and we're not really asking for his wisdom. We're asking for him to do what we want. And so I wanna ask you today, if you want wisdom, all right, are you coming and trusting by faith? Are you coming and asking? Are you seeking him in prayer? But number three, do you have the right motives, okay? And then if you have the right motives, let's add one more thing to it, a commitment to God's word. So often we are seeking wisdom from God and you know what we fail to do? We go to the best source of God's wisdom that we have available to us right here, his word. Listen to what Psalm 119 says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Can I ask you this? Do you want to do what is right? Do you want to have wisdom? Then commit to God's word. God's word contains thoughts and heart, God's heart and God's thoughts on matters that we face. Even though we might not find the exact situation we are facing, we will find guidance that leads us to God's thoughts. But notice this, it's not just even knowing those things, it's not just knowing God's word, it's walking according to God's word, having a commitment to God's word. 
The psalmist asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then the answer was by guarding it according to God's word. God's word is a guard for one's way. It's not just knowledge to be learned. It is wisdom to guide your life, wisdom to help you walk in the right path, which takes me to the last point. If you want the wisdom of God, you have to walk in wisdom. Remember this. God put one stipulation on Solomon. Do you remember what it was? Anybody remember what it was? What was that one stipulation? All right, I'll tell you. He had to walk in his ways. He had to keep his command and walk in his ways. If Solomon did that, his days would be lengthened. And in James, what did it say to one seeking wisdom? It says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, folks, comes to the one who remains steadfast. In other words, to the one who continues to walk in the wisdom of God. And I have stated this before, and so I'm going to state it again. Often our problem is not that we don't know what to do. It is often that we don't do what we know to do. You see, much of God's desire for us is evident. We just fail to do it. We know God wants us to forgive, but what do we do? We fail to forgive, and because of that, we end up bitter and miserable people. We know to be generous and help the poor, but we don't. So we end up envious people, often in debt to fulfill our own desires, We know to guard our tongues and speak only what builds up, but what do we do? Speak whatever is on our minds, causing divisions and hurt. I could go on, but I won't. When we are called to walk in wisdom, we choose to walk in our own way, and the process end up miserable. When if we would simply walk in wisdom, much of life would go better. We might not end up wealthy like Solomon, but we will end up with a wealth that is greater than anything that can be measured in a portfolio, that's greater than anything that can be parked in your driveway. Anything that you have to pay taxes on, we will have a wealth of being at peace with God and having peace in the world. Amen? And that's so much better. Now, before I close, let me give you one final key to having the wisdom that God wants us to have. This key is found in 1 Corinthians. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read everything I really want to read this morning. I'm not going to read everything I could read this morning. I'm going to go just to the essential when it comes to wisdom. Listen to God's word, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and follies to Gentile. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the what? The wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What does that tell us? The true key to the wisdom that we are seeking is Jesus Christ. He is wisdom from God. The world looks and says the cross is foolishness, but God says my wisdom is Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. God's wisdom is Jesus being the Lord of your what life. God's wisdom is this, the Holy Spirit living inside you to guide you each and every day. And what I know today is if you place your faith in Jesus and walk with him daily, you have wisdom from God. Jesus is the perfect example of God's steadfast love. And when we didn't deserve God to love us, he sent Jesus to die for our sin. And if we will simply recognize our need, recognize our ability or inability to save ourselves and reach out to Jesus seeking his forgiveness, God is gracious to forgive and give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we gain then is the ability to walk in the wisdom of Jesus Christ and to live a righteous life, a life that is full of wisdom, a life that boasts not in itself, but boasts in the Lord. A life that ends as, that in the end is a life like Solomon, where people look and say, the wisdom of God is in it. For you see today, God's plans are unbroken. And God still wants to give wisdom today. Will you reach out to Jesus and receive the wisdom of God? Will you pray with me? Father, we come and bow to your presence today. And thank you that you are a God that wants to give wisdom to our lives. And Father, forgive us when we rely upon ourselves. And that, Father, when we trust the things around us more than we trust in you. Help us in this moment, Father, to be focused on you and your desire and your will for our life. And help us today to reach out to your wisdom. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Father, I know that you can take this word and you can work in hearts in amazing ways. And Father, maybe this message is for one, maybe this message is for 100, maybe this message is for 1,000, but Father, you have a purpose for this message today, and I pray that you'll work in hearts and that people will listen to you and respond. Help us truly to walk in your wisdom. And above all, Father, help us to walk in the love of Jesus Christ, who is your wisdom. And may we not turn to false gods, but may we turn to you and let our hearts be changed. And so, Father, in this moment, we have a chance to respond. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you move us? Help us to respond to you today, I pray. And I trust that your will is going to be done in this moment. And so, again, this invitation, we ask for your spirit to be poured out. Again, move in a mighty way. Move as only you can. And I pray it in Jesus' name.